2 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul, as he writes this, he is in Macedonia. So that's the area, northern Greece. He's been very ill. Uh, Some sort of a chronic illness. We really don't know what it was. Some say it was stomach. Some say that it was with his eyes, that he had matty eyes. So his eyes were running all the time. Uh, Some say that when he was in Asia Minor that he contracted a malaria and that that malaria caused this fever that caused the eyes, that caused the stomach problems. So let's just suffice it to say that he was going through some hard times, difficult times. Luke, you remember, if you study through Acts, you know that he was traveling with him. Who was Luke? Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. He didn't know that. You know, the Apostle Luke, he's he's a doctor. So he's tasked with traveling with Paul. So he's in Macedonia now. You know, he's been doing this for a while. He planted all these churches. Isn't that odd? He plants all these churches, Corinth, Thessaloniki, um, you know, so on and so forth. But he doesn't pastor any of them. He just plants and moves on. Uh, Ephesus, you know, all all these churches. Galatia, there's seven churches there. Um, He's a church planter, a true apostle. But he doesn't pastor any of them. But all the churches he starts have problems, which is where we get our New Testament from, because, ah, he's now got to write these letters back to start fixing problems in church. Imagine that, that there would be problems in a church. You know, uh, you know the thing that I've noticed uh, in the last couple of decades in the church is churches actually are fine. But in the smaller they are, the better. But the, the more people that show up, the more problems come. And, you know, some people will even tell me, you know, like they'll have a struggle in one town or wherever they're living, and they're like, I've got to leave here and leave my problems behind. So they move, they go somewhere, and you hear back a year later, and you're like, you'll never guess what happened. The same thing there that happened here. Like, ah, well, what'd you take with you? You know, me? (laughs) The only one that went with you is you, you know? I mean, you left all your troubles behind, I thought. And it just tells me that, that the core root of my problems is me. Everywhere I go, the same things continue to happen. I know that's just my story. I know that doesn't happen to anyone else that's here. Um, Well, he's waiting here in Macedonia. He's sick. He's waiting for word from Titus. You remember the book of Titus? Uh, Same guy. He's waiting for word from him concerning Corinth and how they responded to his first letter, the one we just got through reading. So he's sitting around going, I wonder how they took that. Remember, he beat him up. I mean, we just got through. I felt beat up getting through it like Paul. You know, he told them you can't get drunk on communion. You're like, mm, can't do that anymore. Uh, you know, you can't do, you, you can't uh, have all these uh, fornication type stuff going on all in the church. One guy um, having a relationship with his uh, with his dad's new wife said that's not right. So Paul wrote and corrected all of that. Said kick the guy out of the church if he's not going to repent from it. So kind of left them all in a tizzy. Well, he's also. You know, the thing that you're going to see in this letter is um, the love of Paul. You're going to see Paul who isn't just being a preacher. Because that's what we go to church and we're like, okay, lay it on me, pastor. You know, I can take it for one more week. You come and you're like, I'm fixing to condemn you, you know, and open from the word of God. You know, that's, that's how they talk. Well, you know, we go to church and we, accept, we, we expect that. So when you go to church and you see that, oh no, that's not what Paul was doing at all. He was correcting them in love. 
And you see, what you do is you say, here's the word of God, here's the standard. You know, Romans, everybody today gets mad at chapter 1. In fact, in Canada, it's against the law to study chapter 1 of Romans. Why? Because it mentions homosexuality. Oh, well, what about me, Pastor? Because I've got friends that are homosexuals. Me too. Um, oh, really? That's okay? Like, yeah, you need to minister to them too. They're peoples too. When God said that he died for everyone, guess what? He included them. We're going to read in Second Corinthians here where it says, and of such were some of you. Talking about gays, homosexuals, people that are living in all kinds of sin. Of such were some of you. So wait a minute. You can be a Christian. You can be corrected in love. And that's what Paul's heart is here. And you can come back to a knowledge of the Lord and we're all equal. Yeah, we are. He, he said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, there's neither man or women. All the little fights we've had in the last hundred years in this country, you know, women's rights, God's on board. Uh, you know, racial equality, God's on board. I mean, all along, you know, uh, what about na- nationalism, Jews versus Gentiles? Nope, not in Christ. It's all the same. God's on board with all of this. Now, he's not on board with the, the rioting that's going on, the looting. We don't need to just, you know, one wrong doesn't equal another wrong. You know, um, so he, he's not on board with that. But equal rights, everybody's equal in Christ. Yep, that's our God. I love Jesus for that. Well, all of that is in this book. I love Second Corinthians. We're going to see more of Paul's heart where he says, I love you guys. And that's why I do all of this. So we'll dig in because we can talk about it all day long. Um, verse 1 says there, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia. So verse 1 is just him, you know, the typical uh, opening of his letter. Achaia is the entire area of Greece. So that's Macedonia and lower Greece, where Athens is and all that. If you know your geography, it's all of Greece. So he says, um, this is from the entire area and we're all, um, uh, this letter is to all of you. And uh, we know that Timothy wrote probably part of this along with Paul, So, uh, in, because he says it here. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's Paul's typical Greek and Hebrew greeting together. If you've heard me talk through some of the Gospels before, you know that um, the, the grace is a Greek word. And that was the typical, like if you were Grecian, that's how you would, you would walk up and you'd go, grace be to you today, okay? If you were Hebrew, you would walk up and you would say, peace, shalom. That's the word of peace, shalom, peace. So he's coming from a Hebrew and a Greek background. He says grace and peace. Doesn't want to offend anybody. From God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort which, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So now we're starting to already get into the core of the first chapter. He, he doesn't waste time here. Now, in Romans, longest intro in the world. One huge run-on sentence. The longest run-on sentence in all of literature of antiquity, in fact. Paul, you know, well, he's wordy. Peter Rader writes at the end of his epistle, he says, Paul, 
good brother, but he's a little wordy. Now, I love that verse. You know, um, it's, you know, his character comes through. He's a theologian. He's into doctrine. That's Paul. But here, he says, none of that. I've already been writing to you people. I want to jump right in. This is the thing. Bless the Lord, and this is who he is. He comforts us in all of our tribulation. He's already mentioning problems. This is the God that comforts us when we're going through trials. And then in, and then in the end of that verse, I underline it because it is so important to me. Because when I'm going through troubles, when you're going through troubles, I'd like to know why. Isn't that your prayer? Why, God? If you're not going to solve it, at least tell me why. Right? I mean, that's what I pray. If, it's like either solve it or tell me what I'm doing this for, and then I can do it. But I can't die for nothing here, Lord. You know, I can't lose for nothing. I can't go through this for nothing. I want to know the reasons. Well, he gives it, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. So you go, he comforts us in our tribulation, and that tribulation that we go through in life, our trials, the hardships, it's so that we're able to comfort those who are in any trouble. The things that you go through and I go through aren't really for you, necessarily. It's so that you know what to say to that next person that comes along that goes through something similar. You can say, aha, I've seen this before. How? In my life. I did this a few years back, and this is what God is doing, and you can make it. Sometimes you don't even know if you can make it through that, right? Only unless somebody's gone before you. Um, and then th- you don't comfort them with a bunch of philosophy, you know, because that's, what kind of friend is that? That's Job. You know, he had three friends and a wife, and they all philosophized him to death. Well, I guess you're going through trouble. You know, Eliezer told him, uh, Job, he said, I guess you're going through this trouble because you sinned. (laughs) That's your problem. You're a sinner. Well, yeah, I already knew that. You know, his wife, well, here's the fix. Go out in the yard and kill yourself. Literally, that's what she said. Why don't you just go kill yourself and curse God while you're at it? You're like, oh, thanks, wife, you know. Um, so when you're in trouble, you can't even turn to your spouse anymore. You know, they all give you bad advice. Um, well, this is what you comfort people with, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So if you say, you know what, I went through a trouble, pastor, and I didn't see this. And you know how I got through it? With Jesus. He's all I had. Then that's what you go share. You see, I mean, this is simple. You see, like, but, but I didn't get through it with any help from anybody. I got through it with the Lord, and that's it. Exactly. Go share Jesus. That's how you get through it. Because they're not going to get through it with your philosophy either. I see all of you. I mean, I don't want to get through trouble with you guys. You know, I'm joking. But, um, you know, here's the thing. It, when someone comes to pray for you or comfort you, if they just have a bunch of wisdom from the world, it doesn't help, does it? You know, a lot of times people are going through something, if it's a health ailment, and they come to you and they say, I've got just a thing for you. You know, like, well, what we need is Jesus Christ. Because most people have already researched everything to death to try to save themselves. You know, I mean, I've met people that have got cancer. And, you know, like, have you ever heard of chemotherapy? Like, yeah, we've heard about it. You know, it's like, we, people have all of this info. That's what Google is, really. You know, and everybody consults Dr. Google, you know for everything. You know, that's like the best doctor going, right? Um, you know, people have a mole and they come out, I think it's melanoma. You know, like, no, uh, it, it, don't, don't rest too high on Dr. Google. But what we need, what we really need is Jesus Christ. And so with the same thing that got you through your troubles really is the thing that you share. Four, verse five, as the sufferings of Christ abound in us. That's not what you want to abound in you, Right? the sufferings of Christ, this goes against my flesh. 
that the sufferings of Christ would abound, or in other words, be made manifest in my life. What is the suffering of Christ? That he came and he loved and he shared Jesus. Jesus shared Jesus, you know. Um, He's the ultimate example, but Jesus shared Jesus with people. And he didn't just share it with words. He shared it with his actions. That's why, you know, in, in any leadership in a church, once a church is a few years old, I love to see him start studying the nature of Jesus. How did Jesus do it? How did Jesus do this? Because I want to be like him. I don't want to copy what people say religion is. I don't know about you guys. It's probably why you're here in this church, but I hate religion. Jesus also hated religion. You know, John the Baptist, guess what? He was killed by religion. Jesus was killed by religion. Isn't that interesting when you think about it? You see, it's not the unbelievers that got after him. It was the religious ones that believed in God because they were more hooked on religion than just Jesus and the nature of Jesus. And he says here, you know what? You're going to have this same thing in you. The sufferings of Christ are coming at the hands of the religious ones. The sufferings of Christ. So you're going, you're tearing my faith apart right now, Pastor. I hope so, because what is your faith in? Is your faith in religion <laughs> or is your faith in Jesus? You, you better watch that because as you get older and, and you live through the years, churches will let you down. Men will let you down. People will let you down. Jesus never lets you down. And there was a time in my life when the church let me down. Therefore, I walked away from God. I don't want that to happen to you. I want you to have such a walk with Jesus, you see, that no man can come between you and God. If any man tries to come between and say, oh, you can't get to God but through me, that's a sin, terrible sin. All our jobs are is to show people to Jesus. Now, back to the word. As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. So that's where we're getting our comfort. Now, if we're afflicted, it's for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same suffering which we also suffer, or if we're comforted. Now, there's two words here. Underline in verse 6, if we are afflicted, afflicted is one, or if we are comforted. Afflicted, comforted. Now, what's he saying there? If you're afflicted, we're afflicted because it's for you, in other words. We're afflicted, we're going through stuff in life, it's for you. Or if we're comforted, it's for your consolation and salvation. So he says, here's the deep thing I want to tell you. Whatever trial I'm going through life, here's what I've learned. If I'm going through it, it's for you to see something of Christ because I'm partaking of his suffering, Christ's suffering. Or if God decides to do positive things, that's comforted, that's healing, that's wealth, that's blessedness, that's all these things in life that we see. If he's, if he's blessing me, in other words, then he's also doing that for you. Nothing's ever self-centered. Everything that was in Jesus' life was other-centered. So it will be in you or my life if we're following Jesus. It's going to be other-centered. So my prayer changes, and I say, Lord, do in me whatever you will, that, I, that my life may be that ministry. Um, your life is your ministry. You see, you always thought, oh, it's at a church. It's in a ministry somewhere. No, that's a corporate heading for ministry. Your life 
is your ministry. What is ministry? We, we always say, well, ministry, that's uh, being a pastor. No. What is ministry? Here's the definition. Ministry is the supernatural work of God in your life to influence the lives around you for Christ. That's ministry. Oh, that changes things. I'll read that one more time. Ministry is the supernatural work of God in your life. We may say it's good. We may say it's bad. But that verse just now told me whether we're afflicted or comforted, it's all to do a work, a ministry. Ministry is a supernatural work of God in your life to influence the lives around you for Christ because it's Christ through us, you see. That's ministry. Whenever God's afflicting you, comforting or healing you, it's for your ministry. Look at it totally different. When you leave here today, you're going to go, ah, James is right. (laughs) Trials. I'm blessed in them. Whatever I'm going through, it's to work something in me so that I can be a blessing to somebody else. You see, uh, God can do more with a broken man and a broken woman (laughs) than he can that one who is strong in their own power. Because when you show up and you're strong, you know, everybody, think about this. Have you ever gone to Sunday school? You've seen the pictures of Samson, right? And Samson is always pictured as this he-man looking guy that works out and lives in a gym, you know, muscles. I seriously doubt that Samson looked like Arnold. I think Samson was probably a very small statured man. A regular dude that had supernatural strength. You see, and, and if you go to the Talmud, yeah, which is the Jewish history, and then you, you look at their Mishnahs that are in there, and you, you, you start looking at the history, and he came from a family, when you study his name in the original, it means small-statured one. Mind blown. I thought Samson was this huge guy. You were thinking in human terms of his strength. He's probably this little puny, weaselly-looking dude, you know. And uh, he's able to take up a jawbone of a donkey. I don't know if you've ever seen a jawbone of a donkey. I have. I would not want to have to try to kill a whole bunch of people with one. I mean, I'd you know, throw it at him and run, you know. Give me an AR or something else. But, I, you know, a jawbone of a donkey? And he just goes into him and slaughtering all these people for the Lord? <laughs> Church was different back then. Um, but... Uh, you know, when the Spirit of God showed up, you know, like, it's funny today, everybody, show up, Holy Spirit of God, did, really, let's pray about that, you know. Um, sometimes in the past when the Spirit of God showed up, it was for judgment, too. So, you know, he shows up for all sort of things. But this little shrimpy dude, away he goes with the power of God on him. And you know what? That's a picture of us today. It's not, about, it's not by power or strength, but it's by his might, the Scripture says, you see. And... Um, so just some things to think about. But God can do more with a broken one than one who's strong on their own. Don't let self-sufficiency rob you of experiencing the miraculous hand of God. Don't, don't so think, I've got to have all of this in myself, that you say, I don't really need God. If he shows up, that's great. Otherwise, I can do it, Lord. No. On purpose, live your life in such a way that you say, this is going to fail unless God shows up. Have faith in the Lord. Really, put, it, put God to the test because God says he's there for us. Now, I'm not saying stupid things. I do not want to see people free falling off the Grand Canyon. You know. But within reason, just say, Lord, if you want me to move, then 
the ways before me. I'm just going to walk and I'm going to see what you want to do. And, and just keep moving and let God do his work. Um, trials weaken you. They weaken you and me so that God can shine through. Uh, and by the way, last point here, self-pity and trials. It only isolates you from being used. You get, you get in a trial and then you say, you know, I can't believe God's doing this to me. And in a way you go with your you know, mood. You just now robbed God of the chance to use it. So self-pity and trials, it isolates you from being used. Stand up for the Lord in your words. All he does, all he does is, is want you to speak the words. He does all the rest. You proclaim Jesus. Interesting. That's what he told. That's the one thing he told us to do as Christians. Go forth. <laughs> Preach the word in season and out. Go forth. Make disciples. Just use your words. And then he tells us over and over through the New Testament, you know, like James be careful with your words. <laughs> They'll light things on fire. Uh, be careful with your words. There's power in these words. Because I can come up here this morning and say, I'm in a trial and God's being mean to me. And you better be careful or he'll do the same to you. And you're going to leave here and be like, oh, man, pastor said God's being mean. You know? Or I can say, you know what? I'm going through some trials like we all do. We'll go through trials. And God will be glorified in it. I don't even know how. That's God's department. All I'm supposed to do is use my mouth and the gift that he gave me and just go on to next week. You know, like, well, what about next week? Do you have a plan? No, God said don't worry about tomorrow. Evil to the days, it's sufficient to the days the evil thereof. So don't worry about it. Uh, anyway, good things here. Paul knows all this already. I'm having to tell you guys all this uh, for myself. You know, that's the thing. Why do we go through the word? You know, is it because we don't know it? Oh, we know it. We know it, but we need to be reminded, don't we? You know, I want you to leave here this morning not thinking God's beating me up. No, these trials, God's working. You've got a ministry if you're going through stuff. You've got a ministry. Whether you're blessed or whether you feel cursed, you've got a ministry. Use it. But use your mouth to bless the Lord through it. Now, verse 7. We've got to get a move on this. Our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also will you partake of the consolation. Um, so he's saying, you know, you're going to be... Car- consolation there, that's a, a Greek word. It can also mean encouragement. Your Bibles may say that. You'll also take part of the encouragement. So since you're sharing in tribulation, um, the hard times you go through, you're getting ready to be an encouragement to someone else. That's what it's simply saying. Verse 8, For we don't want you to be ignorant... So that phrase in the Greek is, we want you to know this. So know this in particular, brethren, that our trouble, which came to us in Asia. So remember I was telling you when we first started talking about the book that he was sick. He's in the middle of Asia and he got down with probably malaria. So he's referring to that here. He's saying uh, back in Galatians, it talks all about that. Uh, that don't, I don't want you to not know about this that our trouble that came on us in Asia, we were burdened beyond measure. Burden beyond measure, that's the same Greek phrase that they would, back in these days, uh, which I'm not that old, but I did work in the mountains, and we use these pack mules, okay? So you load a pack mule up, and uh, we were building a pipeline for water way up in the mountains, so we had to, uh, we were using two-inch galvanized pipe, we'd cut it in two with a, by hand. Um, We'd cut it in two with pipe cutters, thread it by hand, and uh, because a mule can only, you can only put 10 and a half foot joints, 21 foot joints pipe. So we'd make these 10 and a half foot joints, put a collar on the end, and you could put, I believe it was six joints, 
five joints on each side of the mule and uh, on a pack saddle. And um, so then you'd put them all in a string and you'd go up this mountain. Well, if, the, if one mule was, say, speedy and one mule was slow, um, the one that was speedy would ram the pipe into the rear of the donkey in front of him. And so you've head and tailed all these and you're on a trail on a mountain, you know, going up. And then you look behind you and you're, you start praying because this one mule is throwing a fit because he's ramming the pipe into the back of the other one. Uh, it was a mess. Um, so we built this whole thing. The best part of that job was the last day. Um, so because, well, I thought riding job, this sounds cool, you know. No, you're just loading pipe. And, and you know, to load that pipe, I don't know if you ever loaded a pack saddle. Okay. When you load the pipe, you, you, put, you put pipe on one side, but it was too heavy. So the pack starts going this way. So you have to have four guys to load a pack mule with pipe, with galvanized pipe. And uh, so you get this thing loaded. Well, this, this term right here, burden beyond measure, that's the Greek phrase for when these guys packing all that stuff, the mule collapsed under the weight. They were burdened beyond measure. <laughs> so you get them loaded, and then <clears throat> they fall. They can't carry the weight. You ever felt like that in life? Like you're a pack mule, and you're like, too many joints of pipe. Too much. I can't do it, Lord. And move. So you feel like you... <clears throat> collapse. Maybe you drug in here this morning feeling that way. I'm collapsed. I'm, it's bur- I'm burdened beyond measure. And then he says, above strength. Wait a minute. I thought the Bible said he never puts more on us than we can bear. Well, here it says above strength. Here it says, in other words, we were burdened to where we felt like we were collapsing and the, the trial is above what we can bear. It's not above what you can bear. It's above what you think you can bear. Here's the thing. You know, both my granddads fought in World War II. Um, They both told me that before going into war, there's no way that they could have done what they did until they did it. They went through some things. Trials, really. War. Terrible things. Here's the thing about anything we go through. You don't think you can do it until you do. I remember the first time I played a guitar in front of people. Um, you know, I was 14. Worship leader had been doing drugs, so he was out, and uh, I was in. I'm like, whoop, here we go. Okay. Um, you know, I, I was sweating bullets. I didn't, I couldn't do it. I was burdened beyond measure, and I was above my strength, way above my pay grade. But you know what? I did it. What God was doing was he was stretching me. And I can tell you all kinds of stories like that, you know, uh, I had a horse one time. He's nine year old. He, he had uh, done hospitalized two different people, and I was told at the ranch I was working at, "You're riding this one." I'm like, really? Does that does that make a valent attempt, or actually do it? I mean, like, what's the what's the the rules here? You know? <laughs> no, I mean, you're a cowboy, so you go, "Yeah, I will, sure thing." You know, you might be shaking in your boots, but you're going to do that because you don't want to look bad in front of the guys. You know, um, you know, and so so you do it. You get through it. And you figure out, huh? I can do something I didn't know I could do. I can get through a wreck I didn't know I could get through. And you know, you're going to take jobs like that and you're just going to be stressed completely out. I can't do this job. There's no way. I'm not equipped. But you find in the doing of it that God does something in you. And he says, you can't do it. You just needed to have that push out of the nest. You see, that's what trials are. He's saying you can get through way more than you think you can. And I want to develop a character in you. Trials produce something. They produce character, and character produces hope. 
you see. Something beyond ourselves. Well, that's what's happening to Paul, but he's just being brutally honest here. Be honest with people in ministry. He's burned me on measure by strength so that we despaired even of life. Yeah, Dr. Chuck Mister, uh, 10, 12 years ago, he's talking about his wife. And th- he is a, a outstanding Bible teacher. Outstanding. He was here in the United States, moved to New Zealand. He passed away just a few years ago. Um, but he talks about his wife going through cancer. And uh, she had a terrible bout with it. And these people are people I've looked up to big time. And she writes, she had a blog that she went when she was going through her cancer journey. And she says at one point in that cancer journey, I lost my faith. And I remember reading that. I thought, what? What? You? You lost your faith and you admitted it. She came back to faith. But the trial was, she was burdened beyond measure. She, it was above her strength so that she despised even of life. Dr. Alan Redpath, he passed away a few years ago. Don McClure goes and sees him, uh, the pastor that's well known. And Alan Redpath, he's a, a renowned th- theologian over in, in England. He's on his deathbed last week, bad illness, uh, bad death, you know. And uh, Don asked him, like, well, you know, how are you? What's going on? I mean, you of all people know God, you know. I mean, he's got a world renowned teacher, and he says, I'm struggling with my faith this last week. <laughs> that's what I'm struggling with. He was just, he was bare bones. You go through things, so you today, like, well, this is helping me because I struggle with my faith and everything's okay, Pastor. It's okay. It's okay to struggle with your faith. The faith chapter, when it's talking about Abraham and all the rest of those guys, guess what? There's no mention of their failures. It's just Abraham by faith. No, I'm going, no, that's wrong. Go back to Genesis. Let's look at the story. He lost his faith. He lost his faith. He lost his faith. Yet over here it says, by faith, Abraham, put this together for me. I can. So God sees it and he says, you failed, you failed, you failed, but you're covered because you have faith in me. So you know what? I no longer see your sins. It's all covered with the blood of Christ because he had faith in what would come, Jesus Christ. So the whole faith chapter, it's full of these guys that failed. They all failed, but in the end, they put their faith in Christ. That's what's important, folks, is that at the end, you, get, you, you may live verse 8 out. I hope, I hope this isn't your plaque on your, on your you know, icebox at home, but if it is, that's okay. We all live it, but I hope that you can eventually come to that knowledge that God is doing this thing in me, and my failure, in my failure, He is complete. It's okay to get that low. God's working something. Yes, he says in verse 9, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we shouldn't trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. You ever get that low? I don't even trust in myself anymore. My faith is on the rocks. Don't trust in yourself. That's the whole point of the trial. Quit trusting in yourself. Start putting your faith in God, the real faith in God. Uh, Corey Tinboom, you know, she went through um, Auschwitz and all of that over there, uh, Holocaust, and she said, you know, and she survived it. And uh, Jew, she survived all that. And she says, uh, she wrote in her book, talking about forgiving those who had done all that to her and killed her family and done all that. Great book. You ought to look it up. Corey Ten Boom. Um, but she said, you know, I didn't realize Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had going through all that. Isn't that great? I mean, that's, that's what trials do. They get us down to, it's like you throw all the rest of it out of your life. Everything else, all the junk. And you're left with Jesus, you're left with his word, you're left with the hope of salvation on the other side of all this. So Paul says, oh, that's where I got. And I'm willing to be real 
open with you guys. I don't want you to be ignorant of it. Um, verse uh, 10, who delivered us from so great a death, and he does deliver us in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Um, so he says, you know, he has this death sentence on his life, but he's saying, God, he can deliver us from eternal death. Verse 11, who also helping together, you also helping together in prayer for us. So you're going through this deep a time, I would say uh, we need some money, we need funds, we need help, real help. You know, I'm tired of just all this prayer help. I need real help. And he says, no, no, prayer, that's what I'm going to ask for. For you today, for me today, the thing that we need to ask for from God is we need prayer, prayer. And and we don't even have time to go into um, really Paul's beliefs on prayer, but just know he truly believed in the power of prayer. Verse 12, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we're not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand. Love that phrase, underlined it. What that basically is saying, (laughs) he's saying don't read between the lines. There's no hidden meanings here. Don't look at the trials and go, what, what is this really? What is the lesson here? It's trials. It's horrible things that happened in the flesh to him that he's trying to cope and get through. There's no special meaning to all of this. He's saying, I, I, I looked to you and I wanted prayers from my fellow believers. God put me through all this because it's a ministry to you, to you people there at Corinth. Um, he says in verse 12, two words, simplicity and sincerity. Um, Conducting ourselves in simplicity is no hypocrisy or pretense. That's a good thing for Christians. You go through trials, be honest about it. Be honest about your life anyway, that you're a Bible that other people are reading. So he says, we conducted ourselves in the world with simplicity. And then he says, with godly sincerity. So that word, now I love that word. I have to give you a little meaning on this. Um, Godly sincerity, it, it means in the Greek, purity. The root word, actually it was meant in the Greek, without wax. What does that mean, without wax? Well, have you ever seen the movie, you know, wax on, wax off? Now, that's something else. Um, It has a little meaning. Now, what they would do is back in the day, uh, the Renaissance, you know, they they really brought this to light, but the Greeks really started it building statues, okay? So they build these marble statues. Well, I don't know if I'm not a statue builder. I respect them, though. Um, You know, if you're a painter and you mess up, you can go, oops, and you can paint over it. If you're a sculptor and you're going, you get right to the nose, you go, pink, oh, the nose fell off. What do you do? You can't really put it back together. Like, well, let's start over. No, what they would do is they would move the statue from being an outdoor statue to an indoor statue. Like, how does that help? Well, then, once it's indoor, they would get wax, and they would fix the nose with wax. So it looks perfect. Looks great. Now, what does this mean? How does this have to do with this? Well... Until the sun got on the window and shone through the door and hit the statue and melted the wax, and then all of a sudden you've got a statue with a runny nose. Uh, you know, so if, the thing is, is if you're a Christian and you're all waxy, you're like, "Oh, I'm perfect. I got all these chips and all these places, but hey, I'm really not sincere. I'm a hypocrite, and I, I've got wax all over, and I look perfect. Look at me." You know, until the sun hits you, little hard times, little trial, and like, "Ooh, his nose is running." His eyes droopy. This looks bad. And those Christians do. I mean, they really look bad. Hypocrites. They're runny. They're drippy. You know? 
And uh, you don't want to be a drip for Jesus, you know. And, but that's what's going on here. He says, I'm not that. I'm not some drippy statue. I want to be real with you people. So, you know, they understood that. So I had to explain that because you've you got to know what he's, what he's saying here. Um, and look, the same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. You know, the thing is, is if you're made of the right stuff, hey, when the sun comes out, the trials, you know, it's beating down on you, you, you you're, you're getting ready to go. While this dude with the wax nose is drippy. It's not good, you see. And so it's more about what we're made of, not the fact that the sun will come out. Uh, now, moving along, uh, in verse 13 again, this is just what I'm telling you. There's no hidden meanings. Verse 14, as also you've understood us in part, and we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. So he's saying, um, again, wrapping up that same point, that, that we are sincere. There's no hidden meanings to everything that we have to say. In this confidence, I intended to come to you before. So this is getting on a personal thing here. He was supposed to go to see him, and then he didn't end up being able to go. I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit from him and his teaching. To pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and to be helped by you on my way to Judea. So he was headed to Israel. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I planned, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be a yes, yes, and a no, no. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. Uh, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes to no, but in him was yes. So you're saying, Pastor, wait, what's all the yes, yes to no, no? It's this, real simply. He's not being a hypocrite. In other words, he didn't say, oh, I would love to come see you. Yeah. And then going, no, I'm not going to see those people. I mean, those people are crazy in Corinth. You know, I'm not going there. He said, not that wasn't me. I wasn't yes, yes to you and no, no over here. Remember Jesus in the Gospels, he said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Same idea here. He said, no, when if I said yes to you in the letter, I wanted to come. Trust me, my heart was I wanted to come. What's he saying? He's saying simply as Christians, this is how we should be. He's trying to demonstrate what Jesus demonstrated. It's a great thing. Um, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Simple. If you don't want to go somewhere, don't make excuses, just say no. Now, I come from an area where I'm extremely, if any of you know me, you know my second nature is just in the blunt. If I don't like it, I tell you. Now, I don't intend to hurt your feelings, but I'm just going to be honest because I found that it's a lot better to tell you, like, yep, I don't like that. Well, you're wrong, probably, but I still don't like that. I mean, I'm just blunt, but that's better than, you know, giving you a paint job over there. Going, oh, yeah, I think you look great. No, I'm not going to do that, you know. And you walk up and say, do you think my makeup looks good? Like, well, you know, no, looks terrible. You know, I'm going to tell you, you know. Or if you're like, do I look fine without it? Nope, the barn needs painting. Paint it, you know. Um, Seriously, though, just if we were more honest, we'd be better off. And Paul says, I'm being honest with you. I said I wanted to come. I wanted to come. So for all the promises of God, verse 20, in him are yes, and in him amen to the glory of God through us. He establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God. So he says, look, the reason I'm this way is because Jesus is yes. He says, in him, all the promises of God are yes. They're straightforward. The Bible is straightforward. You can go to Genesis all the way to Revelation. There's one message. 
all the way through over 1,600 years of writing, all these different authors, they all say the same thing. Paul says there is no hidden messages. There's no hidden agendas. It, the gospel's the gospel. Jesus came, he died, he was buried, he rose again. You believe in him, you can too. It's simple. No hidden messages, no hidden messages in Christ either. That's why he's the way he is. So why I'm the reason I'm this way. Just be honest. So, verse 22. This God, because in verse 21, he who establishes us with you and, uh, in Christ and has anointed us is God. So you're always asked that in ministry, well, what gives you the right to tell me? The fact that I am a rotten, dirty sinner. And the fact that I've gone through a lot of trials and a lot of stuff in this life, I've experienced it, and I'm here to tell you, I can't pull myself up. It's all downhill. Well, what kind of encouragement is this? Because I met the one guy that made sense of it all, Jesus Christ. And by believing in him and having him in my heart, it has truly changed me. Not on the outside yet, I know. But inside, I'm changed. Inside, my spirit is new. And so my yes is yes. There's, there's no more hypocrisy because I was a hypocrite in the world. Before I came to Christ, I just tried to look like one. Before I came to Christ, I just tried to look good. But it always fell apart. Because you always make these stupid rules. You know, I'm only going to drink this much. Oh, well, you know, a few more won't hurt a thing. Oh, I'm only going to do this. Or I'm a, You set all these limits and we're human, so we fail in all of it. And we're a hypocrite. And we try to demonstrate righteousness with our friends, but then we go and we t- make a total fool of ourselves out there in the world. You know, and so I learned, you know what? Better that my yes is yes, and my yes is in Jesus. And that's it. No to everything else, you see. It's a, good, it's a great way to live. So he's just saying, this is this God, verse 22. He sealed us and he gave us the spirits in our hearts as a guarantee. Guarantee, that word means in the Greek, a down payment. So you think, you know, well, the spirit in my heart, it's not, it's not all the way what it should be. It's not. It's a down payment. You ever owed money somewhere and you give them a little down payment? It's not the whole enchilada. It's a down payment. You know, again, it, it's just part of what God is when you start experiencing that joy and the peace of God in your heart. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. So we actually won't get into that. Uh, That is all going to be explained in the next uh, chapter. And uh, he's basically just talking about his travels again. He says two reasons I didn't come to you. One, they were in so much sin, and we, we saw that in the first Corinthians, that he knew if he came that it was going to cause a, a nuclear explosion because he was going to be you know, sitting there. I mean, his letter was bad enough. Can you imagine reading it in church? Let's read the letter this morning. Uh, you, that guy that's sleeping with his uh, mother-in-law, you've got to stop that. Uh, you know, I mean, this is pointed stuff. So he says, you know, to spare you, I didn't come because that's pretty awkward. It's real awkward, actually. Um, I mean, just reading it's awkward. There was people, you know, even in our little church, like, are you actually going to study through 1 Corinthians 7? Yep, we did. Uh, you know, uh, it's there in the Bible, and I realize it talked about marriage, and it talks about all this stuff. We're like, oh, but it's good. It's wholesome, and it kind of helps us to see our lives right, doesn't it? So he says, to spare you, I came no more to Corinth, because he didn't want all that going on. But then he says, I love, verse 24, not that we have dominion over your faith. Not that we really can tell you what to do. It's Jesus. It's him doing those things. We're fellow workers for your joy. Excellent point of ministry. 
Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Isn't that crazy? So the whole idea in ministry is like, we're going to set up a hierarchy and we're going to do this thing and we're going to, who's in charge? He goes, nope, not at all. We're going to come and we're going to serve each other. We're going to help each other. And it's sort of like a team, you know, no I in team, that whole thing. We're all together in this walk called the Christian life. So amazing concept. So I want you to leave this morning. I realize we've gone a few minutes over, but uh, good chapter. It's a great start. And we kind of had to introduce this and get started. He's going to go on from here and just start giving out his heart and just say, this is ministry, living it out, not being a pastor, just living out our faith in front of others because in living it, going through the trials, now you can actually go home and go, my trial is for something. It's for something. Somebody's watching. And I will leave you with this. Once in a while, we go through things, and you're going to say, why am I going through this? Because I don't see that person. We think for some reason we're supposed to see it. In God's grace and in his mercy, many times we don't see who we're affecting until years later. You know, And um, 20 years ago, I was teaching discipleship classes, and... Uh, I thought I would go home, Beth is my witness, I would go home and I would say, oh, I'm a failure. It's not working. These people aren't getting it. Because I was very brilliant, you know. I mean, I wasn't, but, you know, 20 or so. So I I had what it took, you know, to really get in there. So I would go home and be like, they're not getting it. You know, and I'm awesome. I don't know what it is, but um, they're not getting it. But you know what? God was working through them on me. And he was working on, on them with me. So both ways, you see. Everybody working on everybody in there. And I thought I was the teacher. God was the teacher. Uh, you know, I thought that they were the pupils. You know, I was. I was the student. You know, and, and so God's just using all of that. But here's the kicker. 20 years later, still have contact with a few of them. Some of them gone on to be with Jesus. But uh, still have contact with a few of them. And they say, I remember back then and it got me on a path aimed towards Jesus. And I'm like, how? I was so bad. And now, now I see it. Like, how? It had to be God, you see. But everything that, that you do, no matter how, what, how many shirts you sweat out right now as you're serving, as you're demonstrating in your life, you may not see the fruit. Give it a few years. It will come. It will come. Be faithful to Jesus. Now you're going to leave here today and say, I know why I'm going through this stuff. I may not know exactly who it's directed to, but I know why. And that is a huge, huge win. Is it not? Amen. Hey, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come, Lord, before your throne, Lord. And Lord, this is such a wonderful piece of scripture, Lord, talking about trials. And Lord, in the past, I know even as I would look at this and teach it, it would just be such a downer Debbie moment to look at more trials. But Lord, I see a glimmer of hope for humanity, Lord, that you are willing to come and step into our lives and you are willing to work, Lord. And the trials that we go through, Lord, the small trials with small lessons and big trials, big lessons, things that you're trying, Lord, to teach us. Lord, I pray for soft hearts. Lord, I pray for our souls. And Lord, I pray for the peace of everyone that's in this place today or listening to this message, Lord. Whatever trial they're going through, I pray for that peace and the knowledge that it it matters. 
it, it means something and it is working something out in them and in people around us, Lord. Lord, I pray for all of us here as we go forth into the world and we live out our ministry through blessings, through the trials, Lord, that our lives would be transparent to others, that others could see Jesus in us, the nature of Jesus would shine forth, Lord, that we could be just like Paul, that we could say, we've gone through some stuff, but people saw Jesus in me. May others see Jesus in us this week. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.